0: Hello guys and girls and welcome back to the Football Gossip Podcast. Uh, Once again I'm by myself, Jamie can be with us, and today I will be just rounding up the Premier League Game Week 4's action, looking at uh, the VAR controversy which surrounded the Villa Palace match, and I will be giving my opinion on the England selection ahead of the Euro qualifiers with Bulgaria and Kosovo. So, starting off with this weekend's action, obviously the big game this week was the North London derby between Tottenham and Arsenal which finished 2-2 and as a Tottenham fan I'm relieved with the result. um, To the run-up of the game I was a bit nervous um, for Tottenham really, seeing how if they play their front three of Lacazette, Pepe and Aubameyang I was thinking they'd tear through us. Based off the performances against especially Villa, first half, City and um, Newcastle last week. I thought that they would tear through Tottenham, and I wasn't. Re- I wasn't looking forward to this North London derby whatsoever. But to my surprise, um, Tottenham played all right. I would be very hypocritical of myself if I didn't. If I said I liked the way Tottenham played, because um, I remember last week, I did criticise how Newcastle sit off, sat off, and just uh, basically tacked on the counter, which we did today. Um, worked okay, I guess. You know the first two goals did come from Tottenham, um, just soaking up pressure, and then Son just used his pace to get out of Arsenal, and that caused them all sorts of issues, especially the first half. I think Son's decision making in the second half should have been a lot better. Um, he was just running at Arsenal, but then just pretty much ran into trouble when he should have released the ball a lot, a lot easier. Um, Arsenal, especially in, towards the end of the second half, were fantastic. Made uh, it was really nervy. Tottenham fans and especially myself I didn't want to watch at times Um it did get a bit heated which you'd love to see in a derby you don't want to see placid ones like how Fulham and Chelsea were last season where there's no heat there's nothing in them but we did get to see that today um I think the game could have been a lot different if Lacazette stayed on I think he took uh, an injury when tracking back I think for me personally Lacazette was probably man of the match he caused it did cause us issues um, defensively. His goal took really, really well. Great feat to give him some space and then just unleashed the stupid amount of power behind that ball and it flew past Hugh Lloris. And Guendouzi, I think, was another standout. He ripped, covered so much ground uh, today. I think him and Lacazette, for me, were the two best Arsenal players out there. Pepe, it's his final delivery. It's his... Final ball. It's the shot on goal. It just isn't there. I'm, I am don't want to go ahead and say that. I'm starting to think he's all high. But Arsenal paid eighty million million for him. And all he does is dribble. Yes he's got a decent corner on him. And a decent set-piece. and get it into the right area. But at the moment he needs his goal or assist. Just to get him off the marks. It does feel like to me. I think he'll, that will settle his nerves. Um, he does waste a lot of chances. He's going for spectacular efforts. I mean in the French League. It may have worked, but it's not going to work in the Premier League. Um, so I think once he gets his first goal, I reckon he'll be off and running and be playing with all sorts of confidence. Um, I think play. I think if Emery plays them week in week out that front free, and, and Pepe gets his goal, Aubameyang um, is on form and Lacazette's also on form and injury free, they could be the best front free in the league by a mile. It'd be, it be I say a mile. It'd be a close call between Liverpool and. Uh, Liverpool City and Arsenal in terms of the best front three but I think Arsenal could be up there if they're all on form and they're all fit really um, I f- think Abamiang though on the left it's not his natural position he did he was getting the better of Davidson Sanchez but I think he prefers to be the number 9 he does prefer to be on the shoulder of the stri- centre back and that's where he got his goal because ball was inch perfect it really was Sublime pass to um, Lacazette, oh not Lacazette, Badmian, sorry, and it was a great, it was a very great finish, a typical number nine strikers, potent striker finish. But the one thing I would have to say for Tottenham is, amongst all the kind of rumours going around about the unrest in the dressing room, the um, Potcher security around his job, they did well, I think, to get a draw, um, they did well, on the counter they did look very devastating. Um, and it could have gone on Tottenham's way really. I mean there were a couple of penalty shouts. Uh, Ceballos uh, wrestling alley to the ground. Socrates um, I personally think was lucky not to give a penalty away by tumbling over Harry Kane. Harry Kane hit the post with probably the best play we've had <laughs> all season really. It was a, f- a nice few passes. Just opened up or well, just passed through Arsenal's defence. And that's the best bit of football. Attacking wise I've seen Tottenham play. All season really that was really good it was the best i've seen them from all match let alone all season so um so it could have gone either way i think towards the end it did open up the one thing that annoys me about tonham is the lack of guts to take off harry kane towards the end of the match i think he just looked a bit tired it just allowed the center centre, um, the arsenal center backs to bring the ball up and we had Lucas Moura on the bench. And the one thing that Arsenal couldn't handle was um, Son's pace. And that caused them all sorts of issues. And I'd like to see towards maybe the last 5-10 minutes at the end of the game, bring Moura on for Kane. He can press the, the back centre-back, stop them bring the ball out, stop them giving them time on the ball, and also put a lot of pressure on him. Because there were a couple of times we had the ball in their half towards the end of the game, and it just didn't look like we were going to do anything with it. I think having Moura's pace injected to there... It'll cause him a lot more problems and maybe we've had a chance of scoring. The one the one thing that annoys me is Harry Kane had the ball. He did really well to hold it up. He had Ali with him and Ericsson. And then he bloody passed it to Musa Sissoko and he ain't scoring anywhere. And he's just not gonna score. I don't know why in his head he's thinking, right, I've got Ali, I've got Ericsson, but I'm gonna give it to Musa. Like he doesn't score. <laughs> like why on earth did we give him the bloody ball? But anyway, to take a point, I've, I'm relieved with. But the one thing I'm conscious of is the first four uh, matches. Tottenham are now on five points, and I think at the start of the season I wanted to see a minimum of a minimum of eight to seven, seven or eight points. Um, sitting on five, it's just a bit worrying. Obviously, one win, one win, two draws, and one uh, loss, obviously to Newcastle. I'd like to see myself at minimum eight. I would say, but. It's still early doors. I mean, four games gone, we've still got 34 to go, so anything can happen this season. But I think from what we've seen already that it's just going to be another two-horse race between Liverpool and City. I think we're way off City and Liverpool at this moment in time. And the one thing that would probably is going to be a bit different, I reckon Leicester will break into that top six. Seeing how um, United have started, I think us and Arsenal are a bit... We're slow to get off the mark, I think, this season. But once we kick in after the international break, we'll start picking... Uh, I think both Tottenham and Arsenal will start picking up points. And it will be between us and them for third and fourth. But I think Leicester may finish fifth or sixth. Um, you know, Chelsea, they're getting goals. That's the one thing I didn't think they would get. Um, but after two braces from Tammy Abrams, I think maybe they could get the goals to get into the top six. But I think it's going to be between... Um, Leicester, maybe United and Chelsea for the um, fifth and sixth spot. I think United have got a whole host of problems. Uh, we thought Maguire was going to come in and they were going That was their saving grace, but I said it before. He's not going to be the Van Dyke for United. He's not going to help them the way Van Dyke helped Liverpool. And it just shows to, at the moment. You know they bowled it against Southampton. They weren't really creating any chances. I think Daniel James. Yes, it was a great finish, but it came out of nothing really. And they didn't create much chances. Um, and at the back, it was just a simple ball in. And Vestergaard just looked like he wanted it more than Lindelof. And hence got the goal. But I think United have got a whole host of problems that they need to flush out. And I just don't think they're going to probably get top six. I think, if anything, it will be Leicester and Chelsea at the moment in time. But like I said, four games gone, four to go. We've still got a long, long season ahead of us. Especially when the cup competitions start come thick and fast. We'll start to see some teams slipping up. And moving on to um, obviously VAR. Once again at the centre of controversy uh, after the fourth week in a row. And of course I'm talking about the game between Villa and Crystal Palace. Where it looks like in the 96th minute Villa had um, gone on and scored an equaliser. But the ref pulled it back for a console, Blew the whistle before the ball was in the back of the net. After Kevin Friend, the referee, believed that Grealish had dived. I think a lot of people are pointing the fingers at VAR. But I don't think it's VAR's fault. It's the referees that have implemented it. The referees in the day and the match officials. And the people actually in Stockley Park. I think VAR is working fine in terms of the offside decisions. Acting on the laws of the game. It's just these... Um, subjective calls that the referees can't make their mind up. Um, so Grealish was running at the Crystal Palace back line It looked like he had a shove to Kiyata, from Kyarte in the back. He started to tumble a bit and crashed into Gary Cahill, but managed to move the ball. Um, I think I can't remember who it might have been Lansbury. I don't think it was. And then they put it in the back of the net. They think they've scored, um, but the, but Kevin Friend thought that. Um, Grealish was trying to cheat him and thought he dived, so he gave a free kick in Palace's favour, therefore ruling out the goal. I think, first of all, it wasn't a dive. It looked to me that Cuarte just gave him a nudge in the back, gave him some more momentum, and Gary Cahill did impede him. But if you look at Grealish, he was always looking at the ball, so after he passed the ball, he got straight back up. Like If he dived, he probably would have stayed down. Yeah, and then Villa put it into the back of the net, and obviously the whistle blew before... The goal, well, before Aston Villa put it in the back of the net, and the issue is that because um, Kevin Friend blew his whistle for um, the f- um, for thinking that Grealish was cheating him, that's why VAR can get involved. It's not that VAR can overrule the whistle being blown because that would be unfair on Palace. Um, if obviously blowing the whistle, Palace has stopped and Villa put it back in the net, and they kind of overrule the whistle blow. That's just not fair on Palace. Like we, it's like every footballer here, is you know you play to the whistle, and unfortunately, uh, it's not. Uh, the issue is that VAR couldn't have acted because the whistle had gone. However, I do think it should have come back to that decision, because what the head referee Mike Riley doesn't want is referees actually going. He doesn't want them going up to the monitor, on in the match and having a second look. They don't want to overrule the on-field officials, and I think that's the issue. It's having the Pretty much the balls, really, to actually overrule a decision made by the on-field ref and actually saying to the um, Kevin Friend, look, go over to the monitor, have a second look because we think it might just be beneficial. We don't think it's a dive. Go have a second look. Make your mind up. And I think, for me, if Kevin Friend was told to go back over to the screen and have a second look, he would have changed his mind because if that case, he's either going to give it as a free kick or a penalty to Villa. And I think it would have been a penalty just inside the box. So that's the issue. It's not that the V A. It's not VAR's fault. They are acting upon the laws set in place, and in the guidelines that have been set. I think it's the, maybe it's the laws and the guidelines that have to change. Because um, the one thing I've noticed the difference, you know, with we see it in the Champions League that officials are said, especially alignment. If you think it's offside, flag. Later, let the play develop, and if they score, and you believe it's offside, flag. So obviously they say let the play go on if they score and it's not offside, then it's okay, the goal's not disallowed. But um, if it was offside, then they can bring it back and the goal is then disallowed. And that's the one thing I noticed is that Premier League referees aren't doing that, they aren't letting play develop. Um, Obviously they haven't been caught out as of yet, but I think there's obviously just going to be a time and place that it is um, but yeah going back to what I said about needing the rules and guidelines maybe needed looking at and changing it's uh, referees I think they do need to overrule the on field match official so yeah, the thing that needs to change is just the laws and guidelines that VR is kind of trying to enforce so to speak I believe that officials should be allowed or should be encouraged to go over to the monitor to have a second look because the, fo- the Premier League is so fast paced and so quick that you do miss out these little details and having a second look will actually benefit the officials i understand why they probably don't want to overrule the on-field official because if they do it from an early stage then players will stop trusting the referees in the game and just say and call for var each time but there do come certain extent um, instances where they have to do it i think especially for penalty shouts and red cards because there are these decisions that aren't going in teams' way. And honestly it's difficult for penalties because it is so subjective. I think for well, the instance we in this case between Jack Grealish, I I think if Kevin Friend has a second look at a monitor, he gives it in favour of Villa. He probably won't give the goal because the whistle had already blown, but I reckon he would give a penalty and give Villa the chance to tie up to 1-1. But... Like I said, I think it's the regulations and the rules. It's nothing to do with VAR. VAR really isn't to blame. It's just the way that it's been enforced. um One of the best referees of all time, uh, Kalina, said that he was concerned about the way that the, um, the Premier League was implementing VAR because it's so vastly different to Europe. And we've seen how it works and the way they're encouraged to go to the monitors, encouraged to have a second look. That he thinks it just it disconnects the whole idea with the fans because. Us as fans can't trust it because we don't know what's going to happen with it. It's just a British thing, really. I, it really is. It's us British people being too stubborn. After we've made a decision, we can't. We always think we're in the right, so we're never going to think we're any wrong. So that's it's that subjectiveness, and I think we shouldn't be afraid to overrule the on-field officials. It should be look, we want you to go have a second look. If you don't feel it's a penalty. That's fine, but go have a second look because we think you might change your mind. We've got Premier League has got to start implementing that. Otherwise, we're just gonna have this constantly. But I mean, for me, it's fine because I can talk about it each week and put it out to you guys. But it's getting painful to watch. It really, really is, and it's just unfair on teams because at the moment, I think Villa, obviously four games in, all could change, but Villa are sitting on 18th. That could be a point takes them out of the relegation zone come towards the end of the season so it's these finer margins in the Premier League that could save a club like Villa and unfortunately it's just the way that VAR has been enforced by the officials and the way it's set out that isn't helping them that's enough for VAR I can pretty much go on for hours about this but moving on the England squad selection for the upcoming fixtures against Bulgaria and Kosovo for the um, Euro qualifiers some interesting names, um, some interesting inclusions, and exclusions. I think what we'll first start with is the exclusion of Kyle Walker, which took a lot of people by surprise. He started the season very well. Um, but I think with the right-back position in England, it's probably got the world's best depth, if you know what I mean. It's got Trent Alexander-Arnold, Wan-Bissaka, Kyle Walkers, and Kieran Trippier. Three very, very, well, four very, very good right-backs. And it just obviously gives Southgate a headache of who to choose, which is obviously good because we like the depth. Um, But Kieran Trippier has enjoyed a decent start for Atlético Madrid. Wamba Saka as well. He settled into United um, very well, looks like. And Trent Alexander-Arnold against Burnley, he just looked. He did look a lot better defensively. Um, especially against McNeil, who we know can cause problems, especially for Burnley. He can get the balls in for kind of Chris Wood, Ashley Barnes, and cause problems for right-backs. But he handled him very well, and they come away with a clean sheet. And after the exclusion of Kyle Walker, I think it looks like Trent Alexander-Arnold will be Southgate's first choice right-back for the upcoming qualifiers. I imagine against, it will start against Bulgaria, but I imagine Kosovo, he'll try and change it around because it's not going to be... There. The toughest of matches um, and also one one second with the defenders one surprise um, inclusion was Tyrone Mings I say surprise I think it's a fully deserved call-up um, I think he started very well for Aston Villa and he's looked amazing at the back from um, I think I said last week that I think his contribution to the team will help him keep up um, stay up in the Premier League he just looks solid comfortable the back comfortable playing out the um, back which we know Southgate likes he likes defenders That comfortable with the ball at his feet and can play into midfield, play out to the fullbacks Um, so I think it's good and a well deserved call up for him moving into the midfield I think the one surprise inclusion for me is Ross Barkley I possibly wouldn't have taken him Um, I just don't think he's enjoyed the best of starts for uh, Lampard at Chelsea and I know he likes to take I know Southgate likes to take players that um, he believes work hard for him and believes it picks players he can trust we've seen that in the past with the inclusion of Fabian Delph after he's not been playing for Man City um, but that's the issue past England managers have had him been criticized for criticized for especially when they were choosing the likes of Wayne Rooney who wasn't scoring for England and yet the managers kept picking him kept picking him And I guess the one thing is he's a very good leader in the dressing room especially since you know Gerrard retired Lampard retired towards the end of that stage but it was just the inclusion, it annoyed fans and it annoyed England managers that they just basically did what the rest do and just pick players based on the name rather than performances. Um, so for me, Ross Barkley was a surprise inclusion. Uh, moving on to the forwards. Yeah, again, why is Jesse Lingard there? I really don't know. Like he just offers nothing. He doesn't offer anything for United, nothing for England. And I just think he's a wasted space, really. I wouldn't have brought him in at all. Um, obviously, with Jamie Vardy being retired, um, that's why I think he could have, he would have gone into the England setup. Um, but I'm just frustrated that Jesse Lingard's gone in because he's just he just offers nothing. He's just a nothing player. There's so many players that play in the same position as Lingard in this team that are much better. Madison Mount, oxlade Chamberlain can drop in, kind of a forward line midfielder, and create chances. You got Barkley there. I mean, it's arguable who's better between Barkley and uh, Jesse Lingard. It's kind of asking which bollock do you want to get kicked in. But going forward, obviously, have have got Harry Kane, captain. I think he's always going to pick him. Marcus Rashford, Jadon Sancho, who's performed well, obviously, for Borussia um, Dortmund. Raheem Sterling, can't argue with that. Callum Wilson, I think he hasn't enjoyed the best of starts this season, but he's been included again. I think that once um, Hudson odoi gets back up to full fitness and performing for uh, Chelsea, then I think we'll see Jesse Lingard drop out for Hudson odoi and uh, same for Ross Barkley. I think when Loftus Cheek gets back up to full fitness, he'll be pushed. Um, Ross Barkley be dropped for Loftus Cheek. But that's just my predictions. Obviously, I'm not the England manager, but we'll have to wait and see. I think, I think the two games will be quite easy for England. <coughs> um, Bulgaria, I can't see them putting up a tough match, um, I think we'll just pass through them on Kosovo the same, it's just that's just like a testimonial match really, they're not going to put up much of a fight and I can see England breeze past them obviously now the England team is a, a better quality it's nice to have an international break I'm um, for one that enjoys it because I like the England team at the moment, the managers the, well the manager we've got in, the players and coming off the back of the Nations League, I think we there's a lot we need to improve on in order to go and compete at the Euros um, the World Cup just showed all of us, how good the team can um, perform and how they can compete at that level, Um, but the Euros, I think there's still a lot of work that needs to be done, and I now, a few creases, some players I think will drop out, the likes of Lingard and Ross Barkley for stronger players as I mentioned earlier, Hudson-Odoi and um, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, I think maybe towards the Euro qualifiers, we'll see possibly Callum Wilson drop out for Tammy Abrams I think if, unless uh, Callum Wilson finds some better form and scores some more goals, then he could save his space. But I think going forward, I think as a lot, obviously his long-term plan is to bring Tammy Abrahams in for Callum Wilson. But we'll have to see how that develops. That's all for this week's episode. Jamie will be back next week, we hope. And we'll be just looking at the England fixtures and giving our opinions and thoughts around them. But you know the drill guys, leave a comment down below, give us some feedback of what you thought and how we're getting on and follow the social pages, Twitter and Instagram at podcast underscore FG and we'll see you next time, thanks for listening.